Welcome to Concussion Stories, a Life Yana podcast series filled with hope. I'm here to let you know that you are not alone in your concussion recovery. I'm Melanie, and I spent more than six years experimenting, training, and learning in order to heal myself from a very bad case of post-concussion syndrome. And today, I feel better than ever before. In Concussion Stories, we dig deep while discussing hopeful stories of recovery, as well as the hard stuff in the messy middle. If you're struggling to focus, be sure to take breaks. Down in the description of each episode, you can find a table of contents in case you want to skip ahead. Let's dive right in. Professor Michael McRae is the embodiment of a busy bee. He is a clinical neuropsychologist and professor of neurosurgery and neurology at the Medical College of Wisconsin. Do you remember Center TBI from multiple previous Concussion Stories episodes? It's the massive European research group researching traumatic brain injury. Professor McRae is on a steering committee of Center TBI's equally massive sister project in the US, Track TBI. And he co-leads the CARE Consortium, a huge American research project studying student athletes and military service members with a concussion. All three studies, so Center TBI, Track TBI, and the CARE Consortium, are called the studies of a generation, as Professor McRae will explain in this episode. And Professor McRae himself is involved in two of them. So long story short, if you say concussion or post-concussion syndrome, you say Professor McRae. Let's listen to all that he has to share with us. Before we started this conversation uh, recording, um, we already talked a bit about uh, my experiences. And you just shared something very interesting about um, the advice of rest. Maybe you could share a little bit about it with our listeners as well. Absolutely. So um, we've taken many twists and turns, uh, I would say, in our approach to acute management uh, and and rehabilitation and return to activity after concussion, whether that be in our civilian patients in the hospital or clinic, with our athletes um, affected by sport-related concussion, or in military service members who are injured in the in the line of duty, um, and and the, the the common thread to to all three of those populations who we know are at risk of of mild traumatic brain injury or concussion is the ultimate goal of returning to our former activities. We started developing um, protocols for uh, graded exertion. Rest followed by graded exertion. And even the concept of rest was something that was debated and and argued. Um, Is it necessary at all? In in a sports setting, for instance, it was very common for athletes to return to play in the same contest many, many, many years ago. Thankfully, that's no longer common practice. Um, So... Some were arguing that rest was really not important at all. And at the other end of the continuum, there were people out there arguing for the need and, and benefit of complete and total rest, meaning physical and and cognitive rest. And that really um, even eventuated to um, sort of the absurd, the, the notion that 
it would be best for a, a concussion, a, a person affected by concussion to be in a dark room with the lights off and, and um, without access to their device, or we don't want you reading magazines or answering the phone, um, complete and total rest, or what was um, even at some time, in some instances, called cocoon therapy, complete stimulus deprivation. And we know from from pre uh, from preclinical studies in in animals um, that that approach was definitely not supported by the evidence, and and um, uh, some would argue that it would it was at risk of even doing more harm than good. Um, and and then we started to see in in our patients again. Uh, common people off the street or athletes or, or military service members that um, this notion of complete rest was was really doing more harm than good, uh, physiologically and psychologically. So in the setting of sports, for instance, you're, you're taking a population that is arguably the most active group of people on the planet and, and telling them, Listen, we don't want you doing anything. You might harm yourself. And so we would have uh, parents of, of young athletes come into clinic and, and we'd ask them, it, um, you know, has your son or daughter started to do any light exercise yet? And they'd, they'd look at us appalled, say, oh, no, we, we didn't want him to get out of bed because we were worried it would do brain damage. And, and the misinformation out there for for our patients and and their families was was um, really a challenge to to overcome because there was this belief that if people lifted a finger they would potentially do harm to themselves um, and and as as I step back um, you know it, it starts to become even even more obvious that really there there is no medical condition on the planet in which complete and total rest is the therapeutic uh, pathway. Um, it, it, uh, really, a, a striking example is that if you have multiple um, cardiac bypass surgery this morning, this afternoon, they're, they're going to they're have you up walking the hall. It, your, your rehab starts that day. And so we began to realize from, from both the evidence and, and our observation of our patients um, this, this was this was more about turning the brain on than turning it off. When ready, um, you know, I think common practice after a concussion is maybe a couple days of, of, of rest or a really laying low, as 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 we call it, and then gradually introducing low intensity, short duration exercise. Um, that we know is is beneficial from a therapeutic standpoint, but also immensely um, helpful in terms of psychological adjustment to injury and and recovery. So that's really what drives modern day approaches to active rehabilitation. Thank you for a whole overview of where everything came from and how it came to be. It's sorry, it's, you, you you lit a spark and I got a little carried away. No, you don't have to say sorry. It's it's really, really helpful, I know, because for me, I have an overview right now after I've gone through everything, but while I was in the middle of it, I couldn't understand 
at first I couldn't understand what was happening to me, but I couldn't understand the whole field and everything that was being said to me as well. And um, only after I went through everything, I got to see this, like this history of medical advice, how it came to be and why I was advised to rest so often or why I was being told that my brain injury would never recover because it had been taking too long. And um, that's, yeah, that, that's something that I hope a lot of people will get from your, uh, your spark just now. <laughs> um, I think sometimes yeah. we, in, in clinical practice, we see that if our patient is not recovering at the pace at which we would like to see them recovery, or, or we would expect them to recover based on condition A, whether that be concussion or some other form of injury or illness, even clinicians then get frustrated. And the longer that extends in its, in its phase, um, the less energy clinicians often want to put into that patient. And that, that, that's really a shame that, that um, the patient starts to feel like they got tossed aside because they're, they're no longer the good student or, um, or uh, following that course of recovery that, that, that everyone uh, predicted. But yeah, that's a, that's in, that's indeed the the feeling that I had uh, almost right from the start. After the two weeks already, that I felt the 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 like the the perfect A students test, and I was already feeling like some I was doing something wrong uh, because I should have recovered already. Yeah. But and that contributes no, to the stress your stress level. Um, and pretty soon, what oftentimes happens in in cases of of persisting symptoms is it's hard to tell where my concussion left off and my stress takes over. The symptoms of each can look very much the same, and then it's a little maddening as I'm trying to determine for myself. Um, is this my concussion talking or is this my stress talking? Yeah, it is. You, you recognize a lot. I can hear you're like not an expert by experience, but you're also an expert by experience because you've probably seen a lot of concussion patients, right? I've seen a few. Um, I've seen a lot over a period of uh, almost 30 years. Thankfully, the prognosis is highly favorable for a complete recovery. Um, after an injury like this. <clears throat> it's so wonderful to hear you speak those words. I know, but it's not not what a lot of people know, especially not of those all of those going through it. Um, so if you say if I say there is hope for complete recovery for people with a concussion, you say 100%. Yes, you are and and these are words of encouragement um that it's good for anyone to hear, clinicians and, and patients and, and families alike. Um, you know, it's unfortunately um, a high percentage of, of patients with concussion or mild traumatic brain injury may have no medical contact at all, and they're left wondering what's going on with me, and then anxiety starts to really play a, a, a driving role. Um, or they're maybe treated and released at an emergency department or a clinic and have no follow-up whatsoever. We, we really, um, I was part of a, 
a recent committee here in the U.S. Um, uh, sponsored by the Department of Defense and, and executed by the National Academies of, of Science, Engineering, and Medicine. Our report was released just a couple of weeks ago. And, and one of the main take-home messages of that report is that we really lack a, an adequate um, and robust system of care for traumatic brain injury, whether that be in hospital or even more so in an, in an outpatient ambulatory setting, patients are often left to sort of fend for themselves in finding a specialist to see or having any follow-up whatsoever to assess their recovery and then clear them to return to normal activity or guide their rehabilitation yep. care. These are uh, these findings that you just mentioned, they are completely similar to what uh, Center TBI in Europe has found as well. Um, you are involved with the project. With uh, TRAC TBI and also the, the something called the CARE Consortium, which is sort of a parallel to TRAC TBI in the U.S. and Center TBI in Europe. Those two studies are focused on civilian traumatic brain injury. And the CARE Consortium here in the U.S. is a large-scale national study of, of concussion in athletes, collegiate athletes, and military service academy. Okay. Well, it's very interesting. Um, as um, Andrew Mas also um, mentioned in one of our previous Concussion Stories episodes, that if in Europe we find things and over in the U.S. you find things and those things are similar, then at once we have a whole lot of evidence that the system, in fact, should change in a specific direction, right? That's very impactful. Correct. And, and probably not, definitely not confined to just Europe and the, and the U.S. I mean, we're, we're, we're finding similar patterns in, in the common causes and characteristics of TBI, the natural history of recovery and long-term outcome, and then really important observations as it relates to the need for, again, a, a more robust uh, system of care for patients affected by, by traumatic brain injury, for sure. It's sort of yeah. a universal finding around mm -hmm. the globe. Yeah, and it's so important and so... So I'm so thankful that it is happening because it's on such a large scale that it eventually in a few years, things will change and awareness will come, uh, but also hopefully protocols will reach all of those GPs and uh, neurologists, et cetera, who still are now giving advice that rest probably is best because they don't have an idea about um, all of the, those new findings. That's right. I believe and that's the most important thing. And like in all areas of, of science and, and medical research, um, you, you know, uh, observations or, or case studies are, are sort of the, I use the term around here, that they're the seedlings on which the scientific method is, is, has grown. Um, but then it takes a while for science to catch up and, and conduct the, the, um, the research necessary to answer critical questions. And I love it. I've, I've heard, um, I've heard people refer to 
the, the center TBI effort and the track TBI effort, and then the care consortium. These are three really massive large-scale national studies um, that I've heard people refer to as the studies of a generation um, in their scope, their size, their depth, and, and ultimately the impact they will have on both the science and, and clinical practice and policy. Um, I mean, that's, that's the reason we all get into this work in the first place, is to have some impact at the bedside in the clinic. Um, these are not just science projects. These are ultimately um, intended to, you know, change how we, how we practice medicine in a way that um, improves the recovery and outcome for our patients. It has a real-life yeah. impact. It has. It, it truly has. You have already acknowledged um, while we were talking without recording before um, the huge uh, psychological effect that a concussion may have on someone's life, especially if uh, consequently the advice has been given to rest and um, isolate yourself from everything that you used to do. Can you can you tell a little bit more about that? Well, yes. As I mentioned earlier, if, if I'm following your question uh, correctly, um, we, we have, and, and hopefully all providers around the globe have moved beyond this, this notion of cocoon therapy or total rest. Um, it is clearly not the indicated um, uh, approach for rehabilitation and return to activity after concussion, and the evidence bears that out. Um, really what we're, we're really moving in the other direction now, that um, understanding the safety and efficacy of um, sort of the reverse of rest is activity. So how do we prescribe activity? What type? How much? How long? How intense? How frequent? just as we would any form of, of therapy. Um, and that has to be approached to, in terms of understanding the, the safety. Um, how much is too much? What, how much is therapeutic without putting the patient at risk of, of a setback? Um, and then the, the efficacy. Which approaches work best relative to our, our current approach of brief rest and um, graduated exertion. This is, this is more about educating uh, healthcare providers than it is the public themselves because um, ultimately it's, it's, it's really the responsibility of individual providers to, to be aware of, of um, the evidence base and, and how that informs my my approach to yeah. clinical practice. Yeah, yeah, I believe so too. And it's, um, it's surely it is about um, increasing activity, like graded activity, and also active recovery. That's one of the keywords of everything I teach others. Um, but also, one thing that I, I noticed, no caregiver ever talking to me about is about the psychological consequences of a concussion. You know, sometimes these things are 
right in front of us and, and we can't see them. So here's, I'll take this to the absurd. Um, let's say I approach someone who has not had a concussion and I say, listen, for the next five days, I don't want you doing anything. I want you going home, not reading, not engaging in social activities, not leaving the house, no physical activity, no television, no music. I want you in a complete and total rest mode for the next five days. This is someone without brain injury. What kind of shape do you think they're going to be in five days later? They'll probably be climbing the walls. They'll feel lethargic without physical activity or motion. They will be probably uh, stressed to the hilt by anxiety. And again, this is someone without a brain injury. So the notion that we were advising people with concussion. Now, again, th th there's, there's some apologies here because there really wasn't data, the abundance of data available 10 or 15 years ago like there is now advising us on our approach. But just the notion that we were uh, advising people with brain injury to remain um, under complete and total rest, again, was um, counterproductive from a physiological standpoint in terms of promoting brain health and recovery, but also had major psychological fallout. Um, where people began to become more and more anxious and depressed, more isolated, withdrawn. Um, and all of a sudden, we had a bigger problem than just the concussion that we had to sort of undo. And, and I saw it, again, in, in our patients. I saw it affecting parents. Um, it, it, it really became a, a, a significant and and pervasive problem, um, mm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's something that I would like uh, all caretakers to be um, aware about, if, if any are listening, just because it's so important to see also the human side of, of a concussion or any traumatic brain injury for that matter, because concussion still is the mild one, even though we know it's not so mild anymore. That's right. Um, yeah, uh, those are the words of Anrumas, by the way. <laughs> I'm quoting him. <laughs> yes. Um, but um, it's so important to see that human aspect, um, aside from only the medical part. And even though I know that the field is changing and different advice is being given more and more, um, most people who come and find me still are being advised to rest. And um, I think it's it's the people that find me because it's my message as well. It's the thing that I heard the most. Um, but the advice is still being given, and it's so important for it to change. And I believe your your research will help with that as well. We all have an obligation to to you know correct untruths or what it, whatever it might be um, uh, for for not only patients but but for providers out there who have been the recipients of, of misinformation or bad advice. And it's all, if you look deeply into it, it's all very understandable, right? That it isn't like um, there are 
the mistakes are make made on purpose. It's like it just we just need a lot of educating to do. And research really has started only recently. If you look at the long period of time that you have been working on concussions, um, it's only I think for the last ten years that you see this real, really, uh, real increase in research on brain injury. Really, in the last, um, I, I, you could make the argument, I think, that maybe more progress has been realized in the last 20 years, um, certainly than, than any other time in history, as it relates to scientific discovery and, and breakthroughs, it, real translational um, research in traumatic brain injury. It's been it's really quite amazing. Yes. It has. So um, I have one more question for you because on your on your uh, personal page on um, uh, the Medical College of Wisconsin uh, website, you write that you find it so important to show compassion with your patients as if they were your own family and um, also to involve family members. Um, I see I see you're laughing as a response. Why, why is that? I, I'm, I'm laughing because I had a discussion with with a patient um, and and their spouse this morning um, about a, a a very unfortunate situation. This is this is not a concussion patient, but um, where I I literally found myself saying the words that if if this were me or my spouse, here's what I would do. And I think. Um, you know, when when you can be honest with your with your patients, um, they are they are much more likely to instill their trust in you. Um, and sometimes, you know, we we encounter patients who are in very difficult situations based on a new diagnosis, for instance, that um, that can be very serious and and um, have major consequences, um, and that's where they want ground truth. And and there's no more ground truth in my experience than than me saying that if this were me, or this were my wife, um, or a family member, here's what I would do. Um, when the chips are down, this is the decision I would make. And um, they're certainly entitled to go get a another. Uh, opinion, but you're you're being completely honest with them and and forthright, and nothing's more important than that in my mind. No, I agree. We all deserve that, right? Yes, yes, we do. And I also believe that that is the position that also could give an advice like, I don't know, and maybe you should find your answer here and here. That's something that's missing a lot in concussion. Um, Correct. Help, I believe. We don't have the answers here, but we have access. We'd like to, you to go see this person, this specialist, who we are confident can provide you the help you need. Yeah, I think that's um, yeah, that's the best attitude you can have as a medical professional. Yes. For sure. I want to thank you for your time with me because you've already shared so much and you are very busy as we've already discussed. Maybe we'll see each other in Amsterdam in October. I don't know if you will be joining. I am planning to attend the, uh, the international consensus meeting. Yes. It's always a great meeting and, um, 
God willing, we'll we'll be able to keep it on the on the schedule. Let's hope the world, in in many ways, remains in a things improve on all fronts um, for all people, and and um, that we'd have the opportunity to to host that meeting uh, this fall. Thank you very much for your time and um, your expertise, and also your compassion, because I saw a lot of that. You're welcome. Thanks for hosting me. I, I enjoyed it a, a great deal. Now I would love to hear from you. What do you take away from this episode? Is there something that you can apply to your life right away? Head on over to lifejana.com and leave your comment now. And if you want to hear and read more concussion stories, actionable steps and inspiration, be sure to subscribe to the LifeYana email list while you're there so that you never miss out on new materials we constantly make for you. If you want to support this podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash concussion stories. Thank you for listening to this concussion stories episode by Life Yana. May you be well and may you be happy.